back for another Noosphere podcast episode today. Badass and frothing past 50, it's Lisa Ferrier Rafkin. Lisa, super cool. She loves ocean swimming, longboarding, scuba diving, currently holds multiple world records in women's spearfishing. She teaches children how to spearfish, loves seeing the light in their eyes as they learn about the ocean. Um, I really enjoyed today's episode. Lisa is, uh, I don't think she even started until into her 50s, and uh, she's Super cool. I love this. You can uh, you can hear how much I enjoy this in the episode. She's a super cool woman. Before we get there, I want to get into a couple of quick shout-outs. The Wellington Sparrows crew have lost a member of their tribe. The uh, Ben uh, unfortunately left behind a wife and five kids. He uh, he, he died doing what he loved, um, chasing Kaimwana in the oceans around Wellington. And uh, it's, a, it's a real sad loss to the Spearing community. Seemed like a really just nice fella. Um, so... Yeah, terrible news. Uh, be safe out there, guys. Hey, a couple of reviews for 99 Tips to Get Better at Spearfishing, the audiobook. Um, check that out on Audible. If you go to noobspirit.com forward slash Audible, you should be able to get a free trial of Audible and download the book for free. And, uh, and yeah... Check that out at noobspirit.com forward slash audible. But uh, Anonymous says, great tips for hunting and diving. I love listening to this book. Noob, I love Noob Spirit podcast too. We'll listen to this again and again. Another one said, great guide to Spirit. I wish I knew these tips when starting out. Great refresher and love to support the guys. Well done. Great product, great podcast. So check that out, noobspirit.com forward slash audible. I'm, I think just reading it, I may, have, um, I may have actually read that before. But anyway, <laughs> check it out. Hey, um, 99 Spirit Recipes is... is Jeepers, it's a huge project going along in the background. I just want to thank everyone that submitted recipes. The uh, I've got a huge volunteer editing and proofreading team. Those guys are just smashing through it. We're um, we, we're chunking through it. We've got about we've got about a month or five weeks to go until our editing deadline, and uh, then we go to design. And I've got a fantastic designer from Sydney putting this book together. It's uh, I'm really excited about this, guys. Uh, 99 spare recipes. We should have the crowdfunding campaign up early November, and you should be able to pledge and get a reward to commit to getting a copy of that. Um, should come sometime early in 2022. Uh, I want to thank everyone for their support and uh, encouragement with 99 spare recipes. It's actionable, simple meals for the everyday diver. If you haven't heard of it, uh, just wait till it comes out. I, I can't wait for it. But anyway, I didn't even introduce myself today. My name's Isaac, aka Shrek. I host the Noob Spirit Podcast. It's interviews with spearfishing experts, authorities, and characters from around the world. And today, it's Lisa Ferrier Rafkin. Here we go. Let's get into that interview right now. Boom. Today's Noob Spirit Podcast is proudly brought to you in partnership with Adreno Spearfishing Supplies. For your next piece of spearfishing equipment, head to adreno.com.au. Flat rate shipping, Australia-wide, huge range of gear. Save $20 on every purchase over $200 when you use the code NoobSpiro. Better yet, drop into their Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne or Perth megastores. Use the code NoobSpiro to save online or in-store. Check it out, adreno.com.au. Are you a US-based diver? Great news. Today's show sponsor, Neptonics.com, have got a deal for you. Use the code NOOB10 to save 10% off anything and everything at Neptonics.com. Equipment you can rely on, solid gear that works. Even when you get all limp biscuit on it, you'll struggle to break stuff. Sometimes in life you have those moments where you think, I've made it. Generally they get crushed fairly quickly, but today, I knew I had made it with the Noobsphere podcast when I got an email from Manscaped. They make the best below the waist uh, trimming gear 
you can imagine. They sent me a care package. I got the lawnmower 4.0 as well as a pair of boxes and shit. And uh, absolutely stoked to welcome Manscaped to the Noob Spirit Podcast. So support for today's episode comes from them. Um, did I tell you that the lawnmower 4.0 allow you to customize your trim through additional guard lengths with sizes from one to four? Also, wireless charging. The new wireless charging system uses electromagnetic induction, which can help save battery length lasting longer. I've used mine two, twice already, sitting in the drawer. Love it, super lightweight, pull it out. Bob's your uncle, you're all done in a couple of minutes. Tidy as, and uh, and I haven't charged it yet. So, and it's robust, light. I mean, what, what more do you need? Anyway, I want you to get hold of it. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code NoobSparrow, one word, at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code NoobSparrow, one word. Unlock your confidence. Always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Your balls will thank you. G'day, NoobSparrow community. Uh, I'm a bit sport today. I'm speaking with Lisa Farrier-Rafkin, multiple women's world record holder, uh, a passionate, passionate advocate for the sport. Um, Lisa, welcome, first of all, and tell me about the Sea of Love Foundation. Oh, the Sea of Love Foundation. Um, It's actually a foundation. I'm actually um, director for them. It's started by a girlfriend of mine, uh, Kristen Smith, and it's really to help kids who have not had exposure to the ocean either by taking them out on fishing boats or taking them out whale watching or doing surf classes and other things. So um, uh, her oldest son actually worked on the fishing boat and and ended up she ended up losing him to in um, to a rollover crash uh, about four or five years ago. So we started the foundation and it's really because his passion was obviously being out on the boat and fishing and everything else. So cool, very um, much yeah. in line with 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 you. You love your your spear fishing. You seem like. A, a, a study of contrasts, uh, Lisa. You you're incredibly soft-hearted by day in your in your job, and yet you're you're a badass spearfisher woman by by your days off. Is that <laughs> is that a fair summary? That is a fair summary. That is a fair summary. <laughs> All right, cool. Yeah. So my research didn't let me down. So I know you like um, ocean swimming, longboarding, scuba diving, and I believe you've got eight women's world records. Is that correct? I'm up to fifteen. Fifteen. My research I'm up let to me down. 15. All right. Yeah. So, I mean, in terms of individual world records, but I mean, I've reset certain ones multiple times over. Okay. So, I had a goal of, of surpassing 14 by the time I was 60 years old. Wow. And I just hit 15. I got four in the last two or three months. Oh, so, wow. Where yeah, you... I just reset the women's blue fin record. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. What's your current world record for the blue fin? For blue, for blue fin, it's 126.6. Oh, wow. That's a yeah. considerable upgrade. It's not, yeah, it's not, not quite as big. I mean, there's there's eight million guys going after the, the guys' records. Yeah. So um, it's the first women's record over 100 pounds. Ah, so cool. All right, so you where are you based? I'm based in San Clemente, California, and yeah. um, that's kind of uh, – I, I originally, like, grew up all over. And, like, to, to your point, I mean, I grew up um, around the ocean when we moved to California, Um and I was one of the first uh, women female lifeguards for Laguna Beach. Oh, wow. So, yeah, I started junior lifeguarding when I was 12. And then I was one of the first female lifeguards, one of three, back in 19. This will date me now. Um, 1978. Wow. Um, yeah. So, um, 
had a long history with with the ocean and, and a lot of respect for the ocean. What draws you to the ocean? Just everything that the solitude, the ability to be one with it. Um, you know, when I'm underwater, just being able to to cut everything else out, and um, you know, in the sense of of you know, when you're hunting, it's it's really that solo thought of being like you know, looking for the bait, thinking about the current, looking for the fish. You know, if you're blue water, um, you know, if you're in a reef, you know, just admiring everything around you. Um, it's a big contrast to what I do for a living because I deal with um, pretty much life and death type stuff during the day. Um, for my work, um, I deal with extreme burn victims. So um, when I'm out in the water, it gets me a chance just to be really in this place of ultimate solitude and peace. There's quite a lot of sparrows that are, have just this is my personal experience, there's a lot of sparrows that are uh, involved in, in people-intensive industries. I myself am, 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 am one of those. I mean, your take or your particular occupation, though, lends itself to I mean, I'm sure it's rewarding, but it, it, it must take a toll on you emotionally and, and spiritually as well. Is spearfishing something that you used as a recovery sort of mechanism? It is, absolutely. It is. I it was um, Last year during fire season in California, we were super, super, super busy. Didn't get in the water a whole lot. I think I was off for only about four or five days, multiple patients, because most of the burn victims, we do like transplant work. It, you know, they're... Uh, 70, 80, 90% burned. And, and um, you get to know the families and you get to know the patients and you get to see them recover and some don't recover and some pass. And and so when you get out on the water, I mean, I think just part of being, you know, it's just truly, it is the gratitude of being out, having the ability to be in the water, having the ability to be on the ocean, being able to just, you know, put on your fins and, and drop in and just be in that whole other world. Um I think sometimes about my patients, sometimes when I'm under there and wish they could see it, but it's just, it's amazing. Um, sometimes I'm sure you, you're taking that with you into your work and, um, and they, they see that about you. Um, what's your earliest sort of spearfishing memory? So my earliest spearfishing memory, actually my son started spearfishing a couple of years before I started. So probably around 2013, okay. somewhere in there. I really didn't start. Actually, I'm really only about five, six years in. You're a late, um, a late bloomer. I am a very late bloomer. So 58 <laughs> years old. I didn't start till I was about 52, 53 years old. Wow, that's incredible. So I'm turning 59 this year. So, yeah, very late bloomer. I was in the ocean my entire life. Um, doing, you know, body surfing, longboarding, doing all kinds of things, long distance, long distance ocean swimming. And I got my son started spearfishing. And then I actually um, went through a change of life and started dating and then met a gentleman who was spearfishing. And uh, it's kind of funny because my, my son was spearfishing and met this guy. And he's like, he goes, well, I spearfish too. And you know, of course, my son being protective is like, you know, in his head thinking, sure you do, you know, and as it was, it's, you know, my, my current husband actually has been spearfishing since he was about 10 and, wow. you know, over 50, over 50 years now. So, wow. um, and how's yeah. your son going with it? See, he's, he's doing really, really well. He actually came up your way. Um, he did, um, he took time when he graduated from college and he went up to spend a lot of time in Australia, some in New Zealand. Um, took classes from Judd, did a lot of intensive free diving work, um, uh, got to dive the reef there, um, really, really loved it. Um, What's your son's name? 
Uh, it's Jack Carrier. Okay. All right, cool. I'll yeah, so I'm sure Jed probably knows him. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's, um, yeah. So I used to go by Lisa Ferrier in my, the record books, I put Lisa Ferrier Rafkin and, and yeah. it's my married name. Yeah, cool. All right. Yeah. So seven, eight years ago, you, you started your spearfishing. Um, you're in your but, 50s. You're, you're in your fifties, and you're starting a whole new sport. I know exactly what that's like because I went and started jujitsu, you know, a few years ago. And even though I was only in my late thirties, I still felt like this. You feel you feel weird because you're you're older, and people perceive that you're older, so you're supposed to already be competent at something. So you're dealing with you know high level of like levels of of discomfort, and then. Battling that sort of that social pressure as well. Did you find that? How how did you negotiate this? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I you know here I am in my mid fifties, and 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 yes, I had a great mentor. I you know got married, so um, my husband's name is Rocky Rafkin, and it you know and you know I had the swimming, all the the water capabilities, you know, and, and I went out and and you know he kind of threw me like a, a pair of fins and gave me a mask and kind of like. You know, I was kind of waiting to see if I would like have any interest at all. And pretty soon he was coming back to the boat way before me. I was out there for two, three hours. And, <laughs> and, and um, you know, but I also got, you know, I got surrounded, which I didn't realize. All of his friends were people like, you know, Johnny Warren, who developed some of the first triggers, um, Maury, um, Jay Rife, you know, Jay and Jackie Rife were up to Jay passed recently, obviously, but you know, they were really good friends of ours. Wow. Um, you know, I, I mean, I had like these incredible, you know, Ian and Peter McConnell, cause I ended up buying a house in Baja. I'm not addicted. Um, you know, so I had like incredible people around me that were just like, you know, had their bar set so high that it was sort of like, okay, well, I guess I'm supposed to be like at this level. <laughs> <laughs> So what, how did you negotiate it? Like, I mean, that's even worse in some ways. Like when you jump in the water with people that are extremely competent, sometimes it, it, it doesn't sound like it had a, any bad negative effects on you, though. You must be a, a confident person. But, okay. Well, no. Well, yes, I am a confident person. But so, so to start over, I mean, I started off, true story, like the very, very beginning, I had um, my very first gun, which I still own, which I absolutely love. Um, and my secret is pink bands, um, to attract fish, but it's, um, it's the old competitor three, Rife competitor three, it was made in Jay's garage before it was even, there's no serial numbers. So, you know, my husband took me out to Catalina Island and he was had like opali, like they weren't even live opali, they were dead opali. And he would like throw them up in the water and he'd be like, shoot, and then reload and shoot and reload. So, I mean, I started like at ground zero, um, just learning how to reload, learning safety, learning about breakaways. Um, You know, he kept me, which I, in retrospect, I look back now and I think at the time I was like, I wanted to kind of like break loose and, you know, he was shooting big, giant 60 pound like sea bass and, you know, huge yellowtail and everything else. And, and, you know, I was still kind of like doing this reef stuff. You know, of course, Opali went out the window after about two days. It's like, can't shoot those anymore. Okay, you're done. Like, you have to shoot like real things because you don't shoot things that you can't eat, you know, um, the whole ethical thing. But um, no, I went step by step. So I pretty much started reef. And then I didn't get my first blue water gun. I was looking back till um, it's 2021 till like 2016, the end of 2016. Okay. So, yeah. So you earned your stripes. Um, 
I, I did. I did. You know, nature really and truly, like I did, you know, like go hunt calico, go hunt sheep's head, go like, you know, go perfect, like make sure like, I mean, he started me out with really small stuff basically to make sure I knew how to reload, how to shoot, how to be safe in the water. Um, and, and, and I think that is one of the things that actually I'm really pretty passionate about is I've done some teaching with kids and it's really, um, you know, kind of, you know, you can't jump in the water and go like, I want to go shoot a blue fan tuna. <laughs> Got to adjust those so, expectations. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I started out pretty slow and then um, I still remember there was a trip. We were coming back from one of the islands. Could we go to St. Clemente Island or Catalina Island? And, and uh, I didn't get a yellowtail again. And, you know, it was more reef fish. And it's like, I don't know, four or five in the back cooler. And, and I just was like, I don't know about this sport, you know, and I was pretty like, you know, did like just really down on myself. And so he stopped at a patty and, you know, and and he must've felt at that point, okay, I've got to like throw her like a bone here. Like she can shoot the yellowtail. And so we stopped at a patty and, you know, as, as patties go, I mean, this yellowtail like literally that like, came in front of me and parked right in front of me, you know, I'm like, you couldn't have missed it if you tried. So, um, you know, I still have a picture of my first poor thing. It probably was only about, I don't know, six pounds. Um, <laughs> My first yellow tail. That's all right. <laughs> Pr- proudly displayed. Describe for an international audience what a paddy is. And, I mean, I believe you call mahi-mahi paddy melons as well, don't you? Yeah. So, so paddy is just basically it's kelp yeah. that's basically clumped together. Um, it's usually floating in, you know, mid-ocean, in, you know, mid um, between the islands. Um, and, you know, as, as I've learned, paddies are usually um, – they hold bait underneath them. So it's basically a big massive kelp that forms like a little tiny flotation uh, area for kelp to congregate under it. Usually pelagic fish then say, oh, there's the refrigerator with, you know, some of our, some of our, our bait and we're going to go and, and see what's there. Um, you know, and so sometimes you go by patties and, you know, oftentimes, you know, get up and you look in the glass, you look at the glass in the, in the boat and, and you'll, or you look on the meter and you can see something or, um, you know, and uh, those usually a lot of times, you know, if there's a bird on it, it's yep. key. If there's a bird on it, right. then it's usually a good patty. Okay. So I look the bird. What about the size of the patty? Like, what are we talking here? Like, how, how, how uh, uh, small patties okay or uh, bigger? I mean, how, how big do they get? And what do we well, I, I mean, I think small patties, I mean, you can have fish being held probably five feet in diameter. Okay. You know, bigger patios are obviously a little bit better because they're holding more bait underneath them. Yep. Um, you know, sometimes you go up and I get all excited because there'll be like, you know, two, three or four, you know, white birds, you know, because you look for those birds sitting on a patty and you'll find out that there's nothing there. And then sometimes you'll come up to a patty that's a foot and a half wide. And, you know, I went to one, the most prolific one was, you know, I still remember I jumped in the water and, and I, it's pretty, it's a, it's a funny story because it was, I'm not, I had to learn also too how to drive a boat and different things, but mm. I jumped in the water and I went in and my husband was still in the boat and, and I went down and I shot a yellowtail and I mean, there were hundreds, yeah. like hundreds. And I came back and I brought it back and then the Dorado came in and, and the Mahi Mahi and, and I can't remember these things are like in thousands of feet of water and I'm like drop the anchor get in the water with me. <laughs> <laughs> and, 
He's like, um, we're petty. Yeah. <laughs> but you don't know what you don't know. Um, what about, so, okay, so you eye up this paddy. Say you, you, you spot it from maybe half a click away or something. You, I'm guessing you slowly motor up on it. You know, I, well, yes, you slowly, slowly, in terms of the boat, yes, you yep. slowly actually pretty much got the motor and you kind of glide up onto them. Yeah. Um, and you, you can go, you can, or you can go by them like really, really slow and kind of see and look at your meter and see what's there. And then for the most part, you kind of go away and you kind of circle away from it, you get yourself geared up and ready to go. Um, and then I usually just, you know, I'll, or whoever, you know, if we're switching off, swim into it, you know, so you get your, your stuff ready, get on the swim step. And then, you know, you get yourself probably a good 100 yards, 200 yards away from it and you swim into it. And then, you know, for the most part, the way, you know, the bait's there and you pretty much sometimes there it's Dorado. Obviously, they're my, my, they're on the surface. Um, but yellowtail, it's interesting because they will actually just like all of a sudden you'll be sitting under the patty or next to it and you'll just see these fish just start to like just swell up um, underneath it. So it's pretty easy pickings. It's a good place to start. Yeah, yeah, cool. Are you shooting fish like directly under the patty or are you often shooting them like I'm imagining because it serves as a bit of a fad, like a fish aggregation device. You got the right. bait and then the, the pelagics are coming in and, and predating upon them. Are they coming to you when you're sort of maybe 20 yards off the paddy or are you swimming right up to it? Or what's the sort of the general? Yeah, they usually, they usually, they're, they're usually, they come up and like Dorado will usually circle the paddy. They'll go in a circular motion round and round, and then you can kind of take the time to look for the bowls um, and pick out the bowls and go after those. Um, for yellowtail, um, it depends. For the most part, they're, they're pretty, they're not very smart. Um, they get really curious and the ones under the paddy and they will literally like a lot of times they'll swim and then they'll come like pretty much almost straight to you. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, if they're smaller fish, they, they just like all smaller fish, they swim faster and they may stay under, but you're usually not right under the patty. It's peripheral. The yellowtail here, when they're undersized, we call them rats. Do you guys call them, have a name for them? We, yes, we do. Yeah, right. Yes, we do. Yeah. Cool. yeah. They're a delicious, yeah. they're a delicious eating fish. So she, yeah, I, I, I actually, um, I shouldn't admit to this, but maybe you're going to edit this out. But yeah, so I actually <laughs> was, I'm a much better AM than I am a diver. Okay. I'll just start by saying that. And so there was actually a really small one and, and um, I used my little competitor three and I hit it like completely straight midline and the poor thing was probably like a pound. Oh, wow. <laughs> it wasn't yeah. good. That was oh, not, I that was not, that was not part of the good ethical spearing that, yeah. you know, like you eat, like you I got reprimanded for that one. <laughs> well, I think I think I think I applaud your honesty, and I think it's definitely part of the learning curve. So, I mean, we're saying it's not good ethically. Why? Why isn't it good ethically? Like in your words and your understanding. No, oh, well, I mean, you know, ethically, I mean, really, and 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 I really do. When we go out a lot of times, like let's say we get, you know, I four or five, six, seven yellowtail in, in a weekend. And, you know, these fish are between 20 and 35 pounds, somewhere in there. Yeah. I mean, if you don't have a, you know, it's ethically is, is making sure that they get on ice right away. Ethically is making sure they get cleaned right away. Ethically is really making sure that they get eaten and enjoyed by people who are going to actually eat them. Um, and, and just never, ever, you don't ever spear anything that you, 
um, you aren't going to make sure that it's intended for consumption and, and, and for somebody to enjoy. And, and honestly, I mean, we kind of call it bad juju. So like, you know, if you don't, we don't, we have like a whole list of friends we give our fish away to and different people. And, and it's like, and if you don't, and if you let it go bad, I really do. It's, it's almost like bad juju. It's like, yeah. it's not a good thing to, yeah. you know, to go back out and ask to see, to, to give back to you or to allow that fish to die for no reason. Isn't it funny how, you know, when you start spearfishing your awareness of, of, of the ethical side of hunting and stuff becomes a lot more nuanced as the, the, the longer you do it. I think for me, like shooting undersized fish is, uh, even though you're going to eat it, the problem is is that fish hasn't had a chance to go through a few reproductive cycles and uh, and spawn. And, um, and, and so, yeah, like they still taste good, but you just um, haven't allowed it to live enough life to, you know, to, um, to be sustainable because it's not it's been allowed to reach a breeding age. So... But, um, well, yeah. yeah, like I, have a, I, I actually ended up buying a house on the Sea of Cortez down outside of Cabo on East Cape. And, mm. you know, you go out some days and there's tons of Cabrilla and they call them leopard grouper and stuff. And, you know, the big ones are great, you know, but I mean, I've gone down as time's gone, you know, time has now gone on. And so like you could have like your bump head parrotfish and, and, you know, your smaller, your smaller, um, you know, leopard groupers and stuff. And, and I'll go down and I'll just line up on them. Yeah. But it's like, you kind of go down just to line up on the exercise and you come back up and, you know, but to your point, it's, it, they're not, um, it's just not the right thing to do. Yeah. You know, I think, um, I think when people start spearfishing, they go through those, though, that, that ethical part of the journey where you learn and you discover and you, a lot of the time you do learn by doing the wrong thing and, but you only if you as long as you only make those mistakes once or twice, like and you learn and you develop and you grow, like that's that's also part of it because your your ethics and stuff and your skill at picturing and understanding fish size and all that sort of stuff, they all grow along to it. So um, good on you yeah. for being honest. So. Great news, guys. Adam Stern has made his freedivingfamily.com courses available at a discount for the Noob Spiro community. If you get on freedivingfamily.com, use the code SPIRO, you'll get 20% off any course. There's a bunch of sick courses on there. There's an equalizing uh, stage one. There's an equalizing advanced techniques um, video there. They're two of my absolute favorites. If you have any problems with equalizing, go to freedivingfamily.com. Get Adam's course and use the code SPIRO to get 20% off any course. Check it out at freedivingfamily.com. It's a match. You and Shrek liked each other. Now you can go spearing together. Imagine Tinder for fishing. Welcome to the Fishing Trips app. Today's partner, the Fishing Trips app, available on iOS or Android. Find yourself a spearing buddy. There's no reason to go diving alone anymore. Download the Fishing Trips app today. If your buddy had a blackout on your next spearfishing trip, think, what would the outcome of that be? Do you know how to revive someone from a blackout? Would you even be in a position to do something about it? Or would you be diving, chasing after a fish as your buddy sinks down to the bottom of the ocean? Do you know where most blackouts happen? Do you know what you can do to minimize your risk of having a blackout? My name is Ted Hardy, and I'm the founder of freedivingsafety.com. In my free online course, you will learn the truth about shallow water blackout, the myth of I don't push myself, I know my limits, I'm in tune with my body, how to minimize your risk of having a blackout, and most importantly, how to save your buddy's life if they have one. 
Visit freedivingsafety.com to sign up for your free course today. Dive safe out there. It's just not even that hard. What about, what did you, so you said you're you're a better shot than you are a, a diver. So, but you you predominantly free dive. Um, yes. What was, what was learning that part of it like for you at, at 52? Like, what did you struggle with? Well, you know, I'll be honest. I didn't start out actually with a technical free diving class from the very beginning. So I kind of was relying just on my straight swimming skills and my ability to dive um, and my endurance, I, you know, working out and such. So, you know, when I started out, I mean, I could get probably down to, you know, quite frankly, my breath hold was very short and I mean, literally like under a minute and, and I was, I was diving like 20, 30 feet, you know, and then I finally obviously took a free diving class and it was like, you know, through a lot of people going, okay, like, just everything like how do you kick over how do you you know how do you like the whole relaxation how do you breathe up how what's you know especially what are your ratios you know surface time versus dive time and and really like understanding that part of the sport in terms of how critically important it is for safety um was i should have i truthfully i should have done it at the very very beginning and i probably waited you know, I'd say almost a year plus, you know, and then once I did that, I mean, it vastly improved um, in terms of my ability to to spear. A lot of it's just those one percenters too, isn't it? Like uh, like you say, like your duck dive, just getting that with decent form is huge for improving your dive time. Oh, it's huge. I mean, like I can still remember early, early, early on, um, one of the mentors, Jeff Richardson, who um, he's a captain on a boat down in Cabo, but he also – um, he, he dives a lot, probably is one of the biggest white sea bass divers along with my husband on the West coast. And, and, um, we were out and had the two of them with me and he was watching me dive and the same thing. He corrected me on my duck dive. And then the biggest thing he was like, Lisa, he's like, you've got to make sure you tuck your head in. you guys like, you got to keep your, like my head was still like, I was looking down and I was looking up, like going down and up, you know? Yeah. Yep. Um, Streamlining. So it's another huge one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. Well, that's awesome. It's all, thanks for sharing some of those lessons. Um, what was the first – when's the first, like, hunt that you can remember where – because it doesn't even have to be a particularly good fish, but you're just proud of the way that you positioned yourself and kind of put yourself in the right spot to really hunt a fish. What's the first one you really remember? Oh, I think early on out at San Clemente Island, we would go out to the backside, um, Salto Verde and some other places when there were still a lot of kelp back there. Um, so it's like the, the backside of San Clemente Island off of California. And, um, you know, it's really just being able to, you know, I started putting it all together. Like where, which way is the current going? You know, where's like looking at the kelp, where's like the point on the kelp where if you can, you know, the bait's obviously going to be at the front of, of, you know, where the current is coming from. So, you know, you go to the front of it, you find the bait. You position yourself, you make sure you're at the outer point, you make sure you're, you're um, and, and, and it's having the patience for that blue water to be, be able to sit out there and wait. And, and I can still remember getting my first couple of really good sized yellowtail um, being out there and doing that. And, you know, um, and it really, it, it is a lot of it, just learning that whole thing of the whole fish sense of like finding the bait knowing which way the current's going, knowing like, you know, if there's no current in California or for our yellowtail, I mean, you know, it's, it, they're pretty tough to find. Um, sometimes you can have, um, 
you know, some of the home guards and stuff will, will be really, really deep, even if there's no current. But for the most part, um, you know, getting those first yellowtail and having them come in, you know, two at a time, three at a time or school at a time and then being able to to um, to go down and, and really target them um, is just um, it's it's absolutely incredible. It's, it's such a blast. Did you have any problem with shot placement with some of those bigger yellowtail? Um, no, I mean, I honestly, like, I mean, for me, it's, I'm, and it's interesting because I got actually, Jay Wife actually helped me design. I actually have an Islander, but my Islander actually has an enclosed shaft and it's weighted. So, um, and it's got, um, weights on both sides. And I also have, um, extra rest taps cause I'm pretty short. I'm about five, two. Okay. So in order for me to load my own gun, I have to hip load and then I have to chest load from the, the mid, the mid tabs. Okay. But, um, you know. For that, once I finally got my good blue water gun, I mean, it was it was getting leveled out and placing, like really going after it. I mean, um, I will say, I mean, like I I could still improve on my diving. I probably need to take some more free diving classes for sure, for sure, um, to get to deeper levels. Um, but um, you know, I think my my placement, um, I think using that smaller gun for such a long time really helped me. Yeah, righto. Yeah. This forced you to be a bit smart and strategic with the way you took shots. Well, yeah, because once you once you end up with a big gun that's got an enclosed, you know, track and everything else that kind of shoots like a laser, you know, and you've been using like a mid-handle little small gun, you know, it's it makes you all that much more precise. Yeah, you know, nice. I mean, it was amazing the first time I shot with my bigger gun because it was like, oh, no, this is how the rest of the world lives. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you, you raised another interesting point. Uh, loading a spear gun can be really tough for slider-framed people and, and, and obviously particularly women. Um, walk us through learning how to load a spear gun. It sounds like your husband, Rocky, uh, sort of he just made you keep doing it. So that's got to happen. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, one of the things I will tell you in, in for the women in the sport, so there's this whole thing for women in the sport of, of – um, and it is, there's like an ethics. It's kind of like the ethics right behind shooting, you know, fish that you're going to eat. It's, it's like, if you're going to go out and spear, like I've always loaded my own gun. Um, so what I did is I actually went and I like, I took my shafts back to rife and I had them add extra rest tabs in the middle. So for me, because my arm reach is so short, um, you know, so if I go and I go for a full pull, let's say, you know, on a, on a bigger gun, my arm reach literally is a, is at a point where I can't even with a hip load go to like a full pull all the way to the back. Yeah. Um, so what I'll go ahead and I actually have two extra rest tabs. So I do hip load to those first ones and then I'll chest load from there. Yeah. Um, so that I can, you know, I can load and reload in the water. And, and, and I think for women, there's a group of us who are pretty serious about it. Um, it's, it is extremely ethical, you know, for, for those, you know, we know certain people that, you know, I mean, it's good. I want people, especially women, I want women to feel inspired that they can go out and they do it. And if it means it for a while that you can't really, that you need help loading your gun, but there are ways that you can, you can, like I did, you know, add extra, extra rest steps yeah. so that eventually you can become independent and then you can be doing that on your own. Yeah. The other thing is, is, um, Necessity is kind of the mother of all invention too. Like humans, uh, whether they're perceived as not as strong or whatever, will learn, adapt and overcome, but only if they're given the opportunity to do so. Sometimes the biggest favour in my experience you can do for someone is just to allow them to struggle for a bit. 
Yes. Like yes. Him. No, that's true. I mean, I've had, I, you know, I mean, and that's really, I mean, for, for me, it's, it's, you know, when I got my blue water, I mean, loading it, I mean, I ended up, you know, buying a set of weights and doing weights every day. And, oh. you know, I spin and stuff because it's like, you've got to have that upper arm and that shoulder strength to be able to do that. And, you know, and if you, you miss a shot in the water, you got to be able to reload, you know, you can't go back to the boat and reload it, like sitting on top of the ice chest, you got to be able to reload it in the water and do it efficiently. And usually nine times out of 10, they start circling you while you're reloading, as you well know. <laughs> <laughs> Just teasing you. And then you're always tempted to take that shot with one band loaded. And, uh, all Is those... that not the truth? Oh, you're like, how fast can I, can I just load one band all the way back, yeah. put on my slip tip uh, and just like go for it? Yeah. Oh, I won't, I won't run my shooting line properly. I'll just, yep. I've done all those silly things and yep. And it's just, uh, yeah. you're better off just slowing down, aren't you? It's one of those times where you just slow down, do everything properly. The fish, they will or they won't be there, but either way, at least you'll be equipped to deal with them. No, I mean, I recently did it. I were, you know, because I've been doing a fair amount of bluefin lately in, in hunting. And, and, you know, I, you know, you're sitting on the back of the boat, you got your fins on, you're looking for marks, you know, we, there weren't even breezers. And, and I can still remember just, I don't know, like a month ago, you know, I got so excited. I missed the first shot and I could see them all just circling and I, you know, and ready to come back up. And, and I completely like just jerry rigged and misloaded my gun in, like entirely. Like it was yep. just all wrong. Yeah. Like it wouldn't have shot in any which way from sunshine. <laughs> <laughs> Do you find that in general with spearfishing, it's like, you know, like when you start to like hunting, like when you see the fish that you really want, the levels of excitement are just uncontainable. And then you've got to be extremely self-controlled, premeditated and stay calm enough to execute on those opportunities that come in front of you. I find that one of the most difficult things about it, but also one of the most delightful things when it all works out. Oh, I, I think you're absolutely, absolutely, absolutely correct. I mean, you know, um, you know, and I, like I said, I, I, I also dive down in Baja too. Um, and I think, you know, so for, you know, yellowtail and different things, it, it, it's, you know, going down, you can do things like wave, you can level out, you could like hope they turn back on you. You know, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty fast underwater so I can get down kind of almost, I think, um, you know, when you get behind them, you can almost kick fast enough that I think they almost are kind of like, like, and they'll almost like turn to like yeah. take, give you a look and they'll give you a, a side view, yep. you know, which is great. Um, That's a little but bit then, of a trick you know, too. I was down in Baja and like, I have yet to shoot, shoot a Wahoo. And I went out on a boat and I had a great captain and, and, um, you know, he first day they, they came up and I was so like awestruck that I literally like just completely, like completely whiffed the entire thing, you know, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I had everything going and I was down there and, and they came, I mean, this whole pack came up, eight of them. And I literally was just like in the water and it was to your point, it was like such excitement and awe that it was rather than, and, and I had had instruction, like, look away from them. Don't chase them. Like, you know, don't, you know, and I mean, all that went out the door, you know, I was like, you know, I was going to dive on them and get them. And it was like, they just turned and went away. So. Do you think that's another part of the appeal? It's like, um, 
you, you know, like it's the missed opportunities that keep you coming back and keep you going back for the next thing because it's like you're always like kind of like you're stoked with what you've achieved and done but you're always kind of like, I'd like to do that. I'd like to see another one of those. I'd like to really not bugger that up again, you know. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Like for me, you know, now I've seen, you know, because a couple trips, I mean, I've seen now multiple wolf packs. And, and so for me, it's like, you know, shooting that wahoo because I've heard all these stories about how they like you shoot them and they take off yeah. like 8,000 miles an hour and then they drop yeah. off, you know, yeah. and I'm just waiting for that kind of adrenaline rush and, and um, you, know, you know, that that opportunity to happen, you know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, to, to your point, I, I think it is. It's in, you know. I mean, I, I had in Baja, I shot a Dorado and, and the thing had to have been, it was huge. It was like 40 pounds. And wow. I literally, at that point, I was like, okay, relax, calm down. You got him. You got a good shot. Yada, yada. Well, what I didn't do is I actually, I had a problem with my, um, with my, uh, shooting line. Well, your shooting line and long story short, he, he, he basically tore off my slip tip. Yeah. Um, you know, so, um, you know, that's a huge part of, I think too, is like, um, learning to play fish and shooting line tension. Like it's another thing that's, um, only really taught through experience. It's like, like with Dorado in particular, like I've lost them too. It's, um, or shot placement is super important with them. You really want to hit that big bony structure up near the head somewhere. And cause they just, they, they go ballistic when you shoot them. And they just tear, oh. tear off, but you have yeah. to have you have to keep pressure on the shooting line. You don't want too much on, but you also want enough on, and you've, you you don't want any slack in it as well. And I reckon that's a big part of the art of, of landing them successfully. What do you think? Oh, I absolutely think so. I mean, you know, I mean, because they're on, to your point. I mean, they go ballistic. They're on the surface for the most part. They're thrashing around. You know, if your spectra's bad at all, you know, and and or if you had to get a bad shot, I mean, their mission is to get themselves torn off of there. You know, <laughs> so you can't you you point you can't like leave them like too much line. You also don't want to like pull them in too quick so that you like have them tear off. But you can't like you know it's not like you can sit there and and leave them like I I recently shot like a um, a giant rooster and, and the thing was just so giant I I literally let itself tire itself out. Yeah. You can't do that with Dorado. Yeah. You know, because they leave them long enough, you don't grab them by the tail, they're bye-bye. <laughs> they go, they, they they jump out of the water, they do crazy stuff. Like that's a great way to get like tangled up in your own shooting line or rig line, whatever. Like jeepers, they and, – and, and they test out like your team as well. Like if you got to like – like if, they, you, if there's three of you in the water and you're all diving, like um, you're going to get a tangle probably. And, uh, oh, yeah, it, it, yeah. And it's yeah. a, it's a recipe for they, frustration. They just, they just go every which way from yeah. sunshine. I mean, you're like your biggest, like it is, it's kind of like your biggest concern is, is like, where are you going? And like, you're literally just trying to stay like out of your own line and mm. like figure out where it is at the same time as bringing <laughs> them in. So it's, yeah. it is, it's, it's, it's something else, you know, until you've shot one that's really, really big and then goes psycho on you. Mm. You're like, Oh my, I didn't expect this. Dorado, I've had a, a bit of experience with, and, and same as the yellowtail, bluefin tuna. The uh, tuna, though, I've had zero experience. Um, as a novice hunting bluefin, um, let's just say you're heading out, you rocky, and you've got you've got a noob in the boat with you. Um, never hunted bluefin before. What's your? How would you walk them through what they're going to do? F- like when you get on the fish. When you get on the fish. Yeah, like you um, found a school, maybe. 
Okay, so you, you know, so you're on the back of the boat, and you know, it marks or whatever, and they see so drop off. So you go down. You know, I think the biggest thing, like, is going down, making sure that you get down. A lot of times they'll come up to you. Um, you're saying getting on the fish, but you know, when you come up, yet one of the key things is is like if you're going to raise your gun up, is you want to go in the direction that they are circling. So you don't want to ever go with their lateral lines. You don't ever want to go kind of counterclockwise to the way that they're circling around you. Okay. And usually the bigger ones are actually obviously down a little bit deeper. So if I'm going to go dive, I'm going to go ahead and leave my gun like as close as I can to me. And I'm not going to really bring it up till I get to a certain depth where like some of the bigger ones are. And then at that point, you know, because the minute you raise your gun, like literally, like they have this like lateral line and the whole school just they'll they'll move out and away from you. Yeah. Because for the most part, I've only had once or twice where they come into me kind of like as a school, kind of like, you know, like a yellowtail. They go circular. They go, they cyclone you kind of. And um, and if you keep your gun going with that, with the direction, with the school, then you get on them. And I think the biggest thing is the same thing. It's a soft fish. Got to use, um, you, you know, you, shot placement is really, really, really important. Um, you know, um, the good news is, is their skin is tough, really tough. Um, and so you definitely want to be using, like we only use 100 foot bungees with them. Yep. And um, a good slip tip. And then, you know, for the most part, you know, it's like, let them like, let the, let, let, make sure that it's sort of like they get themselves anchored and you let them, I, I've let met, you know, I've shot a few of my, you know, multiple mine and, and it kind of, you make sure your shot kind of settles and you get yourself gathered and you bring your gun back to the boat. And, you know, like most recent one, my bigger one, I mean, you know, yes, the floats are starting to go away and you can't travel on the boat, but you know, you got to then like collect yourself and get your breath up and you have to really like start to think about like, okay, I have the fish, my three atmospheres pegged, you know, um, I've got the other one. I'm going to start clipping it off. And I'm going to be moving it out. And you've got to just really pace yourself. Mm. Um, cause depending on the shot placement, I mean, you could be in the water for almost an hour, bring it up. Um, I've had once, you know, I had a 50 some pounder that, um, I brought up in like, I don't know, 15 minutes. I just had a really great placement on it and, and hurt it really bad. And it, you know, I thought it was much smaller. Um, you know, um, the most recent one that I just shot, I mean, you know, I literally like just took my time. And so for somebody who's new, I'm like, take your time, get your gun put away, get back to the float, get your clip organized. And then the biggest thing is watch where your lines are. Watch, make make sure as you're like, as you're pulling that fish up, that you're looking to see where like, if there's no current, like, are you getting wrapped? Like, is there like, is there bungee behind you? Make sure everything's in front of you. And if need be, you just continually kick away from it as you're pulling them up. And, you know, you periodically stop and you make sure because, you know, you know, you, those things unclip and, and you're wrapped in any which way from sunshine and, and those things are going to take, they're going to take you down. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So are you using a clutch setup? I use a clutch setup. I use actually, I do use, I, I use a clutch. Um, so I have a regular uh, float and then I have my three atmosphere and I have um, my clutch set up um, to my three atmosphere. So as I'm pulling it, as I'm pulling my regular, whatever it is, seven, seven yeah. floats, my regular one, as I'm pulling that one out, I'm moving the clutch all the way down rather than for me again, cause I'm in my fifties. 
my hand strength isn't as isn't as um, strong as probably some guys. Yep. So a lot of guys will they use clips and they'll go in and they'll clip it down and they'll just clip mm. it the whole way down. Yep. For me, I use a clutch and it's much easier for me to go ahead and clutch it out. Yep. I still hang on to the clutch, um, but um, you know it, it it is definitely easier than 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 using a clip for me. So and then you get them up to the shooting line and then you you get a good look at them and. Um, you know, go back and get your kill gun. And, you know, and then that's even with that, it's like, you know, for somebody who's new, it's like, you know, when you get them up to your shooting line and you see that you have them and they're probably tired at that point, but they're still moving around. I mean, you know, for like, for safety sake and everything else, you got to like really look at that fish, see what kind of state they're in. Are they still fighting, you know, and give yourself time to really breathe up and do a really good kill shot. Cause if you don't, um, then bringing them all the way up to the surface is going to be quite precarious because now you've got multiple shooting lines, you know, multiple spears, that multiple shafts out there, and um, I like, can't it can be dangerous. I like to swim up current that way. All the line naturally trails out behind you, but um, I haven't shot a bluefin. They're a diver, so they always generally they tombstone you. Um, with some bigger fish, I've shot like. As soon as you start to swim down, maybe for that kill shot, as soon as they see you, it freaks them out. And they, again, even though they're exhausted, they'll tombstone you again. Do you get the same with these? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. You know, or they'll start doing the circular motion. Yeah. So, you know, you're going down and you're going to go for a kill shot and they're kind of in place. Mm. And they'll, they'll all of a sudden start swimming in a circle. And so you kind of have to, you know, really take your time and make sure that you get a decent kill shot on them. Because, you know, if you rush it and by that time, you know, you know, by that time too, you you know, your adrenaline, you know, the whole thing is, it's what you talked about mm-hmm. earlier. It's that, it's that balance between keeping yourself calm, pacing yourself, going back into kind of that serene mode of like, okay, I'm going to just bring this fish up and be really thoughtful about it. And then the adrenaline on the other side is like, oh my God, I got this fish. <laughs> I'm like, you know, like you're so excited, you know? Yeah, yeah. So you have to like stop long enough and be like, okay, like, this is my kill shot. I'm going to like really take my time and, and, and do this the right way. Um, you know, it doesn't, you know, I love to say that that works perfectly every time it doesn't, but, um, that's certainly the goal. Yeah. 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 (laughs) It's it's interesting. And I think sometimes, uh, it's good just to think through it systematically. It's like you, you just map out your process. So you start to try and have a, a, a system in your own mind, at least for how you deal with these things. Um, but I think experience teaches you that, anyway but sometimes for people that don't have that experience just giving them that process of how you walk through and think about that process is enough to give them a sense of it that way they don't have to make as many mistakes maybe wound as many fish and lose as many fish as as, as we do or, or you know when 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 um when they start out so it's good Shrek, Jeremy here, man. I'm back. Just wanted to say the podcast is growing from strength to strength, my friend. Hoorah, man. I just wanted to say thank you for your uh, continual support from the Noob Sparrow listeners, subscribing, reading, writing, and submitting kick-ass spearfishing adventures from all over the planet. Your listeners kick ass, and Shrek, my friend, so do you. All you guys, come check out the next edition of Spearing Magazine at spearingmagazine.com. Jeremy out. Are you in the market for a new spear gun? Killshot Spear Guns has got blue water Wahoo tuna guns, open track spear guns, 
enclosed track spear guns, rear handle enclosed tracks. Check them out at killshotspearguns.com. Even better, I've got some good news for you. You can save $30 on any Killshot Spear Gun at killshotspearguns.com. Use the code NOOB. If you're in store, just say crikey, mate, or say Shrek from the Noob Spiro sent you, and you'll save $30. Ed Martin at killshotspearguns.com. Check them out. Got a sweet deal for you today, guys. Go to freedivingfamily.com and learn from Adam Stern and a select team of experts on different disciplines. There's Frenzel, Advanced Frenzel, Hands-Free Equalization, Mouthful, Deep Frenzel Equalization, Bifinning Essentials. These are courses that will give you the 1% that will allow you to improve. Use the code SPIRO to get 20% off any course at freedivingfamily.com. Again, that's the code SPIRO to get 20% off at freedivingfamily.com. Thanks, Adam and team. Love it. SPIRO, 20% off. Boom. What about um? What about tough situations? Have you had any close calls, scary stuff like? Um, and and what did you learn from it? Well, different things. Um, I um, I learned actually one of the things, and and is I I went out um, to a place, and and my husband was not right next to me, and was a huge school of yellow tail came running through, and they were a good part of more home guards. I mean, they were they were big, and. Um, he was a good ways away from me back towards the boat. And I went ahead and I shot one and, and, um, and it, because of the way they were coming up off of this reef, it's called our reef. Um, you know, I didn't, you know, as much as I'd love to say I stoned it, I didn't. And, and when they're like 35 pounds, I mean, they're, they're yellowtail are just really strong. And it was the first time ever I got, I mean, first and only time, but I got wrapped. So I had it brought in and I was bringing it in and um, I grabbed its tail and I went to go and bear hug it and, you know, grab it for the gills and it went crazy on me. And I did not have, you know, to your point, safety, having a diver right next to you. Um, And it started going all the way around me. And my husband was good, you know, a couple hundred yards from me. And, uh, you know, the school was still right there. And, you know, it, it, you know, it's, it's, it may, you know, the temptation may be there when, you know, um, when things come through, but, but making sure that you have somebody spotting you and making sure that there's somebody there, um, that if you get into trouble was definitely what I learned from it, because that was scarier than, I mean, I literally was like, came back to the boat, like shaking and I was crying. Um, you know, I managed to, you know, what was interesting about it, you know, is, is actually, um, my spectra went on that one and you know it wasn't that old of a spectra so i don't even know how that happened but i was like happy as a clam that that thing got loose um and and uh you know because it it would have been a really bad situation wow so yeah so that that and you know and then of course there's all this you know i think you folks too there are a lot more out there sharks um you know we i we just recently had um you just get the big scary ones Well, we we just had an incident with the Mako. So I actually, for the first time ever, like we've had instances with whites where, you know, you you see them and they kind of come up and over or they'll, you know, um, we had one that parked in front of us once. Um, The lesson was, you know, you don't leave your yellow tail or any of your fish on the back of your floats. Um, You take them back to the boat right away um, because, you know, after you kill two or three of them, they start to smell blood. But um, 
I was swimming and we were diving together. And all of a sudden I saw this 300 pound, 400 pound Mako wow. come about 50 miles an hour. And I mean, straight up from the bottom with its mouth open straight at my husband and I'm looking over and I was just in my head. I'm thinking he's going to eat one of us. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, it was like, I'm not like, you know, it's kind of like when you dive, it's like, you really, you're, you're part of the food chain and you really have to give up that sort of fear of sharks. You really do that. I will tell you seeing it, like you're not going to get away. Like if they've decided they're going to come from the bottom, they're coming up at you. I mean, seeing it in that kind of remote, what I didn't know was because we have this huge biomass of bluefin tuna off of California is an 80 pound bluefin apparently had run into my husband right beforehand and was trying to apparently obviously hide from the Mako, which I and ah. bumped his weight belt off. Well, I missed that whole part of the story because I wasn't looking. So all I saw was this Mako coming up at him. So, um, yeah, so it was, um, you know, there, there's sometimes there's some scary stuff. I mean, we've had a couple um, instances with whites and different things, but I think, you know, for the most part, I mean, I don't think, you know, it's being aware going back to back, you know, see with 360 degree view, but I don't think for the most part, um, you can't control it all the time. Yeah. Yeah. You can't control it. And, and, you know, I don't, you know, there was once we were off the Island and there was, you know, a whole big school and, and we had an incident and it was kind of like, I sat on the swim step and I was like, so I either have a choice of going back in the water and kind of letting this go and realizing that the chances are pretty much near to none. And, and that was kind of that. And you kind of have to let go of it. Um, so, yeah. Mako Ma- Ma- sharks, I think, are in some ways the scariest of all the sharks, just from sheer speed. Like I've watched um, some HD videos out the back of like fishing boats that have got um, lures and teasers out the back and you watch what a mako is physically capable of and there's nothing else like them in the water. They, um, they are a crazy, crazy animal what they're capable of. Like in terms of short-term, like be, um, bursts of speed over, well, I mean relatively short distance, like one or 200 yards, like phenomenal. And you, there's no way you can even move in time to respond to something like that. Yeah, I mean if they, if they want you, they're going to get you. Yeah. I mean, I think the top speed is, I looked it up, was like between 40 and 60 miles an hour. Yeah. And this thing was coming up from the bottom yeah. at that speed because it came up and its mouth was open. And, I mean, it came out of the water, yeah. you know, and, and it was just, I mean, it, it it was for a brief. I mean, it was kind of like, and then it went back down. And so in my mind, you know, now it wasn't, I couldn't, we didn't have viz all the way to the bottom. So yeah. they typically, they hunt, as you know, and they come up from the bottom again. So, you know, I'm thinking... In my head, it was kind of like, okay, I got to get back to the boat. But like, if that's what they want, they're yeah. you're not going to swim fast enough to get away from. That. Fifty miles an hour versus, I think maybe flat out we're five miles an hour. You know, absolutely <laughs> flat out. There's not a yeah, chance. Yeah, so it, um, um, it was it was an interesting. That was interesting. I've seen lots and lots of sharks, but not anything in full attack mode. Yeah, well, that's cool. I mean, it's cool. Yeah. It's scary, but it's cool. <laughs> no, I mean, it you're all all good, it, so it's it's cool. Yeah. It, no, it was. It actually, in retrospect, it really it it really was cool. It was kind of a National Geographic moment. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I, it's well, kind of like one of those times when you see you know black sea bass and 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 uh, you know as you know well another protected you know. Yeah. And you get to go down and you get to pet them. You know, that's yeah. kind of a different cool. They grow huge too, your black sea bass, don't they? Oh, they're giant. 
they're giant. They're like hundreds and hundreds of pounds. And they'll go through, you know, near the kelp and stuff if you're doing white sea bass hunting. And um, and they'll come cruising through and they have these giant eyes. And 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 I equate it to like having like it's like a Saint Bernard. Yeah. You know, so you know, um, and you can you literally, I mean, I've 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 dove down and you can like literally like touch them and and they're they're pretty friendly. Yeah. Um, so. Some people wonder, I think, about spearfishing, how we can hold animals in such high regard and yet still hunt them and eat them. Like um, people that watch like my octopus teacher, I'm talking about this a bit lately because of some of the media. But, um, you know, like we can, I can still hold an octopus in really high regard and yet enjoy eating one. And I think um, right. just because you hold it in high regard and you even attach – uh, affection towards these animals still doesn't mean you know it doesn't mean that you don't hunt them it, it just means that you do it in an informed manner because i think sometimes you talk to vegans and and i'm not picking on vegans here but it's like they think that their lifestyle means that nothing ever dies and it's like well it doesn't matter who you are and what you eat if you're alive something's dying so that you can live we just do it intentionally with full knowledge of what we're doing and we take responsibility for it well, and, it, and if you think about it, it's really in terms of the carbon footprint and everything else that goes into, you know, shooting your own food and 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 bringing it in, you know. So when I'm down in Baja, you know, a lot of the times, you know, I'll shoot certain fish and some I'll give to, you know, some of the local people and, and keep some for ourselves. And, and uh, you know, I mean, I think what is the statistics? It's like something like x number of gallons like 300 gallons of water or some crazy number you know is needed for one like one cow or something and i mean you know so i you know i think spearfishing in a really ethical way is um you know really just it's it's probably one of the most primitive and and i think one of the more proper ways unless you are vegan you know to eat um you know i think i think the whole fishing thing you know people I think they don't understand it completely. And I think the other part of it is, is, is you got, you know, people who are, you know, they're, they're throwing nets and, you know, they're doing, uh, uh, saners and stuff are going out. I mean, that's really, you know, a lot of the problem of our ecosystem, you know, is you got people who are changing the ecosystem by, you know, really just depleting our ocean of like a lot of its natural resources through, unethical not unethical but maybe legal but i mean it's really kind of unethical fishing in terms of how you treat the environment yeah sometimes um yeah there's big ethical questions with um industrial size um food um gathering whether it's you know agricultural whether it's um, commercial fishing um, I agree with you. The, the, the big questions that we all jostle with. And I think one of the joys of our sport is it's 100% selective and it's and, 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 you, and you learn about it and you go through that journey like we were talking about earlier too about, you know, just learning about what you're shooting at the start, you know. Like, yeah, you, don't, you definitely don't end up where you started um, and it's a journey. No. And I think um, vegans, and uh, they sometimes miss out on that and they, they don't have any understanding of, of that, um, that reality for hunters. Um, right. above and below the water. Equipment. I want to go to equipment just for a sec. So you're a rife girl, self-professed. Um, yes. What about wetsuits and stuff? Are you, you still rife hardcore or what do you wear? Um, honestly, for the most part, pretty much rife hardcore. Um, okay. You know, I actually used a surf suit for the first two, three years because yep. um, I actually didn't, I didn't want to use a two-piece suit. Um, I used a, 
um, not a surf suit, but a scuba suit. You know, I wanted a one piece suit, but then I didn't have a hood. And, you know, I, I eventually like gave up on, I went to actually do a custom suit and did a custom suit for a while. And then it was had too much rubber and it was, you know, it was great because it was all this Jap- Japanese, um, it was made out of great material, but it was like so much rubber. I felt like I was floating around like a balloon. And, <laughs> and so I finally gave up and I, I actually went to, um, an actual, you know, rife suit, you know, yeah. I, I think for me, I mean, it's really, you know, um, you know, I think there's a lot of really good gear that's out there in terms of different suits and different things. I know, um, some of them now have come out with, uh, you know, women's, you know, cause we're, we're built a little bit different in terms of different curves and things. So, you know, for the most part, you know, it, I think things are progressing for that matter, but, mm. um, gear I use, uh, that I, I do not use a low volume mask. I actually use um, a, uh, I hate to say it, a scuba pro mask and it's okay. it's got reflected, reflection on it. <laughs> um, it just fits my face yep. perfectly. I've tried three or four low volume masks that are, you know, spent, you know, good money on those and, and um, you know, they fog on me or whatever else. I probably nose breathe too much or something. So, um, you know, and then. Uh, Have you done the lighter trick? I, Huh? The lighter trick on the yeah, I did. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Sometimes yeah. they need multiple treatments. I don't know for whatever reason. Like some masks are just pricks of things. Like, and when you get a mask conditioned, it's like you just and it works for you. You just never want to go with anything else. Like no, um, you you don't. I mean, yeah. I actually had one mask and a little bit, like a little bit, was starting to leak, almost tiny bit through the nose a little bit. And I was like, you know, I didn't want to let it go because I had this great low volume, but. You know, they'd done the lighter thing like a couple times and I'd done like the scrub, you know, the, you scrub it with the, the brow and you, you do that and you rinse it and, you know, then you use like the drops in it and then went to the spray with it, and you know, and I and it literally it was when I, you know, I can still remember because I was using it and it was one of my first times, um, well, last year, I guess it was bluefin diving. So I, I said, okay, I'm going to wear this low volume mask and maybe it'll get down deeper, it'll be good. Mm. And the the thing like just fogged up on me in my left, like I, and the school comes in and I just couldn't shoot for the, oh, like for anything. Cause I couldn't see, like I couldn't focus on anything. Oh, it's, no, there's nothing worse. <laughs> a fogging, a fogging or a leaking mask. Like, you know, mm-hmm. you, you might spend five minutes doing some super Zen, really good breathe up, relaxing. Everything's good. <laughs> you dive down, you mm-hmm. level off maybe 60 feet and then you realize your mask's, fogged up or you've got a leak in it and that fish that comes in you can't even see the bloody thing you've just wasted seven minutes of your life and a good opportunity because of some shit mask um, it's so true <laughs> I, mean, I, I came up to the surface and i took the thing and i like threw it off on the boat and i'm yeah. like give me back my scuba mask <laughs> so like, at least i can see out of the day yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh so yeah it was crazy you Some, know and it was probably literally like and these things were literally they were like cows i mean it was like you know they're all like 150 plus Oh, you know, wow. and like the opportunity came, the opportunity <laughs> left. <laughs> do you ever do you ever do anything in a swimming pool? Because like one, I mean, you can't generally like if you're doing freedive training or something, you don't take a spear gun in there. But um, quite often, it's a good place to work on finning technique, and like you can try out a new mask, and and it's relatively risk free because you just swim a laps in a pool. There's no big fish that you're worried about. You know, have you have you have you done much of it? 
No, I haven't. I haven't. I did part of my free diving class, obviously, in the pool. Yeah. Um, I know a lot of folks actually, um, you know, like the U.S. teams, actually, they, they're doing a lot of like finning and, you know, just breath holding and stuff, just, you know, doing laps going back and forth. Um, yeah. You know, again, to your point, I mean, that's it is definitely something that's like my goal is I'd like to become, you know, I'd like to hit like I'd like to be able to work comfortably, like work comfortably, like 60, 70 feet somewhere in there. Like right now I can work comfortably, like, like, you know, down to like 40, 50, you know, yeah. I, I'm not a hundred foot diver, you know? Yeah. And I know that whole, that whole opportunity of what you can hunt, Grant, a lot of, at least in California, I know for you guys, it's a lot deeper for us. Most of the big fish, I mean, if you can get down to 50, 60 feet and you can, I say, you know, I guess I can, I can even work even closer to 60, but, you know, getting that, that extra depth is, I think is going to add a lot to um, just being able to hunt and hunt better, give you more time. Comparison's a bit of a, a, the thief of joy too, isn't it? Like, you know, like I was out the other day, I hadn't been out for 10 weeks and I was diving with two guys and I was flat out doing one-minute dives. Um, and then <laughs> my mate, who also used to be a pretty good diver, it's funny, like we call ourselves the the mad crew, the middle-aged dad crew. We never get out anymore. <laughs> so he was doing sort of 70, 80-second dives. And I'm just putting out times just for the sake of sharing the story. Not, right, right. not that it's any magic number that anyone needs to aspire to or anything like that. But – and then the other dude we were diving with, he's a he's a younger fella that's been diving a lot, and he's doing minute forty five easy. And uh, we right. all we all just dove to our levels though. There was wasn't any real funny business, and we all watched each other's backs. It was pretty good. We everyone was fairly experienced, so we knew how to work together. But my dive ability just felt awful after ten weeks not in the water, and I just <laughs> felt like shit. And um, yeah. if I compared myself to the others, or even where I used to be, you know. Um, I I just felt dejected, despondent. Right. You know all those <laughs> awful D words. Disappointed. Um. And you know I don't know, but whether you compare yourself to your mates or you know yourself when you're in your prime or whatever, um, and diving all the time, like either way, it's disappointing, isn't it? It's and it's frustrating. Oh, it is. I mean, you know, I you know, I was out the, the other day, and 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 there were some younger guys. I mean. First of all, you know, you, you talk about different obstacles. So it's kind of like, you know, I'm probably, you know, um, I'm, maybe I'm not quite old enough to be your mother, but, you know, for a lot of the younger guys, I am, you know, and it's like these guys, like they go down and they like they're laying on the bottom, like for like a minute and a half, two minutes, you know, yeah. and I'm going down and like, you know, working at 60, you know, six fifty, sixty 60 feet, you know, for like a minute plus, you know, at tops and, and, you know, they're down there like, you know, like watching like, YouTube videos. I don't know what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you're down there long enough. You could shoot anything and everything that swims yeah. by. <laughs> but yeah, you can't, it, it is. It's, I, I was, I remember going back to the surface and looking down and being like, huh, well, okay. You know, but I think that's also too, there's also a flip side to that. I think that, that there is, and we've all known people, um, you know, done shallow water blackout. And I yeah, think, 100%. you know, um, it's it's that element of like pushing yourself further and further and further and yep. further and further. And at what point, at what point is it enough? At what point do you really need to hunt? And yep. and at what point, you know, is it really at a you know, 
Like, are you using a watch? Are you watching your surface time? Because that's, um, you know, I, I mean, I when I sometimes go out with people who are younger or guys who are younger who have less, you know, less experience and they're like, they want to go out and let's say shoot the first pelagic fish or something else. I mean, one of the things I actually talking about is, is, you know, keep your ratios because it's like, it's, it's great if you can dive to hundred feet, but it's not so great if you dive to hundred feet and then you see fish below you and you drop back down and then you don't come back up again, 100%, you know? 100%. So well, I, I think felt- that's, that's a, that's a little bit of a, you know, it's a wisdom, you know, it's kind of, yeah. Safety concern. I th- I think for me, like when I was out on that dive crew, like I felt like all of us were diving pretty comfortably within the ranges we should have been diving. I was just yeah. physically having one of those days and and just in that in that place at the moment where I'm not where I want to be, you know. And I but I I didn't push myself. I just went with what I had for the day. I I'll be honest. I didn't enjoy it as much as I would have if my ability was going a bit better. But I, I tried to just enjoy it for what it was. And I loved being out on the water. I shot a fish. I had fun. And I was with some guys that I really liked. And um, so I just enjoyed it for what it was. But um, well, it, it, it made me want to get back I, in the pool and do some training. See, um, and, that, and there you go. And that, and that, and that does help. And to your point, yes, it, it does. You, you can, the, that whole competitive, that whole thing in the back of your head is like, I should be doing better. I should have been like, you know, training harder. I should be, you know, doing X, Y, and Z, you know, and all kinds of things. And and sometimes I have to stop myself and be like, okay, like, yeah. you know, if I've shot one or two yellowtail over a weekend, I'm like, you know, stop and be like, okay, it's gratitude. Like, okay. Like, so you just miss like, you know, a 38 pound one, but you know what, be happy for the two that you just got, you know, yeah, you, have, yeah. you really have to kind of mentally check yourself, yeah. you know? Yeah, you do. So, it's good. Yeah. It's a good, it's a good, honest conversation to have, I think. Upgrading the composite or carbon fiber spearfishing fins is a huge step in your spearfishing journey, and you want to make a smart investment. So, I'm going to suggest investing your moolah in penetrator fins. These fins have got a long-lasting performance. They've got a warranty that outperforms anything else in the industry. Check them out at penetratorfins.com. Their before and after sales service is absolutely phenomenal. These fins are being worn by champions all over the world. Check them out at penetratorfins.com for a limited time only. Use the code NoobSparrow to save $25 on any purchase of composite or carbon fiber fins. Check them out, penetratorfins.com. Handmade spear guns from the USA, killshotspearguns.com, have made rugged, functional, simple spear guns utilizing the best components. Check them out at killshotspearguns.com. Save $30 on any timber spear gun. Use the code NOOB. Visit killshotspearguns.com. Moving back, funny stuff. We've just talked about my diving ability. That was pretty funny. <laughs> but uh, what about what about funny stuff out spearing? Have you got a good funny story? Oh, um, trying to think in terms of um, well, funny ge- stories. Generally, I always try and get a poo story out of uh, my guests, but you're a lady, so I don't know if you. Oh, so I, I guess actually, well, funny funny story would be. Um, well, there's funny story on land, but funny story in the water. 
<laughs> um, you know, because we also too being a, being a woman and diving with like a crew guys on the boat. I mean, there's always funny things there. Yeah. Um, but uh, getting on and off your wetsuit and different things like that. But um, no, I think just being in the water and um, you know, I, I just had like like silly things like where you go down and and um, you know, I can remember being out and and I was going after like this really big dorado and and. Um, you know, it was just like a gear check and, and I don't know why I didn't even notice that my entire float line came undone to my gun and it was, it was like half a mile behind me, you know? <laughs> cause I was swimming from the beach, you know, oh, wow. um, you know, silly things like that. But, you know, I, um, I'm just trying to think what else, I mean, I think, um, gosh, you know, uh, we've done drift diving, um, funny story, um, drift diving, I'm drift diving with my husband and. He put me in charge of the boat and I realized that the boat was, I, I was in charge of the boat and he was in the water and I didn't realize that the boat drifted faster with the wind than he, I was thinking he was the other direction. And so four hours later after, (laughs) and, and, and everyone like came and, and I was calling, you know, mayday, mayday. Um, I, you know, he apparently like dropped his weight belt. So the yellow tail was circling him. He watched like the outriggers of the boat go like down as I kept floating down and he um, was trying and the current was going off the shore. So, you know, eventually when I saw the rescue divers come in the dark, um, it wasn't so funny, but it was funny later. Cause then, you know, he got on the boat and he wanted a sandwich, but um, <laughs> yeah, like. <laughs> Any lessons learned from that funny one? Yeah. Don't put your dog, don't, don't you know, give somebody like, but like, if you're going to be like drift diving or do something, make sure you go through like, like the basics of like, you know, what do I, like how much is the wind blowing? Where am I going to be? You know, he didn't even have like a float. He had like a carrot. Oh, um, wow. So I completely lost sight of him that the sun, the sun was dropping, but yeah, yeah, that was actually one of our first dates. And um, <laughs> I got on, I called my son and I called him and I said, I said, I am dating this guy. I really like him. And I think he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, so, uh, you know, um, I think that and, and just, uh, you know, um, I'm trying to think. And the other thing, like, I, I actually really recently, I just shot a um, uh, a rooster and, and, and in Mexico, okay, because roosters, quote, unquote, a lot of times they're, people don't know, like, why would you shoot a rooster? Because they're, like, catch and release and they're, you know, game fish for, you know, but down in Mexico, they actually do eat them. And so... A lot of the locals really like them. So I was coming back in and literally I was like thinking as I was swimming back in about Netflix and what was I going to watch for us today? Because there was nothing really big and I had shot anything. There was nothing on my, my float, you know, and I see this rooster in close and, and, and I'm like, I'm like, okay, I'm like, I'll shoot this guy and I'll go ahead and I'll, I'll hang on to him and I'll like, you know, give him to, um, you know, the, the locals, you know, that live in our neighborhood and stuff. And, uh, well, I had like no flipping idea because it was like, it was only 20 five foot viz you know it's only like 80 and this thing like started towing me around like there was no i I almost lost like all my gear like literally like (laughs) everything just took off like bit more than a blue fit like i'm like whoa i'm like grab my i grab my gun i grab my float and i'm like literally just hanging on for like dear life as this thing is just towing me around (laughs) it's like i don't know when this is gonna end so yeah it turned out to be almost a 56 pound uh you know, um, rooster fish. And I mean, those things are just stronger than crap, man. You yeah. know, 
Well, they, what do they taste like? Are they like an amberjack or are they? No, I mean, no, they're actually. Them? You know, it's it, it for um, down in Mexico they call them sashimi, but they're 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 kind of like a red meat, and a lot of you know a lot of Americans, a lot of from you know Europeans, different people, they really don't. Um, they don't. They don't really eat. Um, it, it, they're kind of red and they're kind of really gamey. Yeah. Um, right. No, they're, 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 I, I personally don't like them. They make almost like a um, carne asada out of them. They, okay. they spice them up and they they uh, turn them into stuff that they put in burritos and they love them. Either okay. that or if they're brand brand, like coming right out of the water, they'll sashimi and eat them, eat them that way. Okay. All right, cool. Yeah, I was so. gonna say I forgot to ask you earlier when we were talking about bluefin. Like, um, from from my perspective, like I've never shot one as well, but I've watched Spiros start to target them regularly down in southern Australia because that fishery was actually like severely dep- depleted, and it's a real success story of of good fishing management practices because now they're back in numbers, and Spiros are regularly targeting them. And I think, um, like a lot of things, it's like you 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 know you get better as you go. And a lot of these people are fairly inexperienced at shooting bluefin, and you don't really seem to care for your catch like a bluefin catch, like you do a lot of other fish. Like bleeding just seems absolutely critical, but also how you treat that fish from the time it lands on the boat back to eating it. Like it seems to be a fish that re- almost requires dry aging or um, something else. Like even processing that fish seems to be different than a lot of other um, spearfishing catches. What's your experience with that? Oh, I mean, absolutely. I mean, the thing is, the minute I mean, especially you know, the minute you get that thing on board is is putting in it. Like we keep dry ice on board, and you know, extra you know, lots and lots of blocks of ice, you know, and getting it completely packed in ice. Um, you know, for me, like if I'm going to take it back and I'm going to weigh it first, you know, then, then, then you want it completely, you know, frozen and, and completely packed until you can get it back to a place where you can then, um, to your point, process it properly. You can basically, you know, um, get it cut and, and make sure it stays absolutely pristinely, pristinely, pristinely cold until you have it cut up. And then you can, you know, um, uh, you know, vacuum seal it. And, and, you know, usually for the most part we give, we don't freeze ours. Um, but you know, when, when we get bluefin, I mean, our goal really is to give it away literally within the first 48 to 72 hours at most, Yeah. you know, and that's, they've been chilled. They're like, it's chilled the minute it hits the deck. Yeah. I recently caught a fish and dry aged one for the very first time. Um, so I learned about, dry aging through um, Josh Nyland's book, which is called The Whole Fish Cookbook. But really, I think I watched a couple of YouTube videos and they put wheels on the car for me, if you like, and I really actually had a practical idea about how to do it. All I did was like I, I filleted the fish as normal. I didn't like um, scowl it. It, wasn't a, it was just a fish with a, really a skin rather than scales. So I skinned it and just pat, patted it dry and then put it in um, some – vacuum seal bags but with just covered in paper towels and I dry aged this fish for 72 hours I changed the paper towels out once during that time and it was some of the best eating fish I've ever had and um, I was wondering if you had mucked around with that technique at all and maybe possibly tried it with the with the with the tuna no I haven't I haven't but you've inspired me now to look at some YouTube oh, videos it's so it's so, so good so. it's like another level of fish like I can't even 
express how good it is, even with like fish that we like turn our noses up. I think dry aging, dry aging, I think any fish maybe is the go, like honestly. So how is it different when you're dry aging a fish versus like taking it and then cutting it and filleting it and then patting it dry and then putting it in? Because we always pat ours dry anyway and then go ahead and, 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 you know, put them in a, um, Oh, okay. You know, a vacuum seal. Well, I think you're doing the right thing with that anyway. I think that works good. But um, my understanding of it is anytime you introduce any uh, moisture to a fish, whether you wash your fillets under fresh water or even if you do it in salt water, you're reintroducing moisture and therefore bacteria to that fish. And we've been all been brought up with this idea that white meat, whether it's fish or chicken or pork or whatever, um, somehow deteriorates faster than all the other sorts of meat. And but it's it's I think it's it's a false it's a false idea. It's like the only thing that makes those fish decompose and become inedible and 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 develop the um, the bacterial stuff that can make us sick is if you leave moisture with it. So if you pat it dry and that's completely dry before you put it away, um, I think that allows it to age without the bacterial growth and um, and it goes through rigor mortis like completely and then all of the adrenaline and all that sort of stuff. Um, completely leave the tissue and then you're just left with pristine eating, relaxed tissue that's way better for eating. Uh, that's okay. kind of my understanding of it. But um, No, I have to try that. Oh, I used it in a ceviche. It was just bloody, it was the bomb. And it wasn't even a good eating fish. It was um, so. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I think, you know, and it kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier. I mean, it's like it's, it's you know, and, and I think, you know, people who don't understand spearfishing, I think, you know, I uh, – for, you know, for those of us who have been doing this for, you know, we're really serious about it. I mean, like, there's almost so much reverence that we have for the fish once we kill it yeah. in terms of how we treat it and how we make sure that it gets prepared and how, you know, it gets filleted and how it gets stays chilled. I mean, it's, it's, um, it really is, it's, it's, you know, it's an art form, you know, in terms of how to treat it well. I think there's a bit of a maturity curve there too, though. And sometimes, with Spiros, it's because we have an abundant resource. That I'm not saying all of us are guilty of it, but I have been guilty of it personally, and it's treating it more casually than we should. And um, I've found great joy. Like I've got this cookbook coming out, 99 Spiro Recipes. I, I don't know if you're aware of it, but um, I've really enjoyed seeing people's submissions and how much care and what they do with their fish. It's just expanding my horizons. And um, I think just because we have an abundance of catch, like it's it's fairly easy to – to fill our freezers, you know, like if you get out oh, yeah. and you're pretty good, like that's never the hassle. So it's, but it's almost like just treating it with reverence, learning how to look after it. And, um, cheap is like, um, yeah, it's, it's making a difference to, to my mindset. That's for sure. I know. Yeah. I want to, yeah. I wanted to wrap when, up. When's, oh. the, when's the cookbook coming out? Uh, November 7th, it'll be on Kickstarter. Uh, so it should ship early 2022. Um, okay. Awesome. So, I think we've got 140 plus recipes from the spearfishing community, so it'll be pretty cool. Um, oh, that would be very cool. If you want to submit one, I'll let you do a late submission. Okay, <laughs> I would like that. Cool. All right, let's head on out with a with a fast a faster paced round of questions. Um, it's Spiro Q and A. So, um, what is your single best spearfishing tip, and uh, what is it, and how do you apply it to your spearfishing? Um. Well, there'll be two, but number one would be pink, pink, pink bands, for pink sure, bands. for sure. Love it. Um, and, and I and I really do mean it. I mean, it, you know, um, people think it's a joke, but without without a shadow of a doubt, I switched to pink bands, and 
Um, if you think about it, lures and a lot of other things for Dorado and other things, they put bright pink things in the water and they will come shooting straight at it or it, 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 it sparks their interest. So um, both my, I've switched my guns to pink bands and it's not because I'm a girl, but it's just to attract the fish and, and get a little more interest. All right, so, cool. All right. Yeah. Well, um, that, girls wear pink and boys like girls, so it makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who has been the most? I think it's funny because a couple of guys are like, they're like, they're like, oh, you have pink pants, and I'm like, I'm like, okay, well, we're just gonna see, like, you know, like what happens here, you know, and pretty soon they're like, you know, they'll buy like, I'll have like one pink band. <laughs> <laughs> no one's judging your manhood over how pink pants you have. <laughs> Trust me, a lot more things than you to get judged your manhood than your bands on your your spirit I love talking with women about the the pathetic (laughs) ego traps that men are privy to at times, and I'm guilty of it just like all the rest of us. Um, Who has been the most influential personal people in your spearfishing? Oh, um, I think I've got a circle of people. Um, Definitely my husband, Rocky Rafkin. Jay Rife um, helped. He actually helped design my blue water gun. Um, got to know him really, really well. His passion, all the stories, um, amazing. Um, uh, Johnny Warren, uh, Maury, you know, makes Maury tips. Um, uh, got to know the Rife daughters, like Julie Rife. She's actually quite a spirit of herself, um, you know. And then uh, just really. Um, you know, just kind of, you know, navigating, you know, through a lot of, there's like a group of women that kind of like, you know, we all kind of, you know, share stories or message each other or talk to each other. You know, there's a new and upcoming gal, Tracy Fry. Um, she's young. She reminds me of myself, like, you know, 30 years ago, you know, literally, I mean, she's, she's, you know, and, um, she's still going to be an up and coming star. And, you know, of course there's like Kelsey Albert, some other people. So, yeah. Yeah. Kelsey's awesome. If you had to start spearfishing all over again, what would you do differently? Uh, I think definitely do do free diving classes first. I would definitely start out with free diving. I would definitely get, you know, to at least probably definitely obviously level one. And then I would really um, probably go for a level two as I started, you know, beginning to learn the basics of spearfishing so that I would have that much more ability and 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 there was just such a loss in that learning curve and like what you were talking about like and how to kick over and you know and how to to drop down versus like you know driving yourself down you know yeah. the, the, the the silly things that i did for a long time it's all good you know last question and then i want to find out where people can connect with you could you describe what the spearfishing experience means to you in one sentence it is my underwater world of solitude, peace, and serenity. Ooh, I like it. That was good. All right, where can people come and find you? And, um, and yeah, are there some socials where people can come and connect with you, Lisa? Um, I have a, um Instagram. It's Lisa Christine without an E on the end, so L-I-S-A-K-R-I-S-T-I-N. It's the Icelandic spelling. Okay. And then it's 1262, my birthday, so 1962, yeah. um, December. So um, that's my Instagram. I have a Facebook um, as well that's attached to that. And um, those are pretty much my, my two social medias 
that cool. I try to connect with everybody on. So you may have inspired a couple of young people these uh, today. So hopefully people can reach out to you on the socials and uh, and say hello, Lisa. I've had an absolute ball. It's been great chatting with you, and I've uh, really enjoyed hearing a bit about your spearfishing journey and um and yeah just 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 shoot shooting the breeze it's been great thank you so much it's been awesome and and to your point i hope this just really you know whether it's a girl or a guy just inspires somebody to pick up the sport and and um and you know don't just do comparisons just do it a day at a time and try to make yourself better every day because there's it, it is absolutely a blast <laughs> Love it. <laughs> so thank you so much for having me. I really, really appreciate it. You see what I mean? Lisa is the quintessential badass and definitely frothing past 50. I hope you enjoyed today's interview. Reach out to her on social media. Thanks for joining me on the show today, Lisa. I had an absolute blast. Next week, we're off to Brian Fern in Hawaii. He is at Unko Learn You How on Instagram. It's U-N-K-O Learn You, the letter, how. Um, check him out. He's a really cool guy. Loves communicating and educating the spearfishing world, particularly the young guys in his area. It's a massive episode. I think we only just started touching the sides as well like we're gonna have to come back and interview brian again but uh hawaii next week with a brian i've got a whole bunch of cool episodes coming up in the in the next little bit as well as some 99 spirit recipes um interviews if you love the show as usual go to patreon.com forward slash noobspiro and think about supporting the show on an episode by episode basis join 48 other frothing patron legends who are powering this sucker anyway that's it for me this week shrek over and out thank you for listening love these reviews Keep it coming. Amen. Support for the Noob Spirit Podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming champions of the world. Manscaped offer precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped just launched their fourth-generation trimmer, the Lawn Mower 4.0, all across Australia and New Zealand. You heard that right, the 4.0. Join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off free worldwide shipping with the code NoobSparrow in one word, NoobSparrow, one word, at manscaped.com. Longtime sponsor, partner, and supporter of the Noob Spirit Podcast, Adreno.com.au has been with us for more than 100 episodes. Adreno.com.au has a huge range of equipment, from the latest in spear gun technology to the odds and ends that you need, like bungees, booties, and budgie smugglers. Go online to Adreno.com.au to read good, honest reviews and to take advantage of Australia-wide flat-rate shipping and a no-hassles returns policy. Don't forget to take advantage of the Noob Spirit discount code and save $20 on every purchase over $200. Adreno.com.au Recently, I brought some new equipment online at today's show sponsor, Neptonics.com, and I was super impressed by the quality of the packaging and the before and after sales support. These guys don't muck around. They make awesome, tough, dependable equipment, and their service matches the quality of the equipment they sell. Visit Neptonics.com, use the code NOOB10 to save 10% on anything and everything store-wide. If you're shopping in the USA and you spend more than $99, you get free shipping at Neptonics.com. Neptonics.com.